you know, once I had such wonderful aspirations this semester, I was going to show up on the first day and we were going to have this COVID-free classroom experience and nobody was going to get sick. No. It's 2022, damn it. Like, we're, we're over this pandemic thing, right? So we're going to have this class, and we're going to have it in person, and it's just going to be like old times where, you know, students would show up to the class, and the teacher would show up to the class, and then everybody would just show up and be there, and they would have a class, and then they would go home, and they would do stuff online because, you know, it's more convenient to do stuff online. But the class itself would be in person, and it would be great, and everyone would be happy, and there would be rainbows and smiley faces, and, and I'm sick. So... I apologize. I'm Professor Benjamin Kozlowski. I am the one who has been corresponding fairly frantically to you uh, for the last week or so. I'm the one that set up all the Canvas pages that you've been staring at for a little while. Um, and I'm sick. For the last week and a half, I've been sick. Not COVID, mind you. Um, no, that would, that, that, like, if I got COVID, then everything would be great, because then there's, like, government assistance and, and money and stuff, but... No, I, I'm just, like, run-of-the-mill sick. Um, I, I think I've, like, my wife came home with strep throat a couple of weeks ago, and she passed on to me because, you know, we live together and stuff. Um, and at the same time, I had, like, this sinus infection that I get nearly every year, although I've managed to miss it for the last few because, you know, everybody's been wearing masks and stuff. Um, but at any rate, I'm sick, so I wasn't able to come to class today, and in all likelihood, before I finish this lecture, my voice is going to peter out, and I apologize for all of this, because I had such high hopes for this semester. I did, in fact, want to show up today, and I was hoping to myself that I would show up today. As, as recently as yesterday, I was hoping to show up today, but then I had this horrible sinus headache, and I couldn't sleep, and I got up like, at a weird hour, and I felt like crap, and I'm like, you know what, no, probably for the best if I don't show up. But my voice is in fairly good shape, at least for now, so we're going to record this lecture, and we're going to try and make it through. Um, and this is going to be our discussion of the syllabus. Like, that's all it's going to come down to. Um, normally, under better circumstances, I would show up, and I would also do this whole thing where we talk about what is mythology, but... I'm not sure I even have that lecture recorded, and I'm not going to try if it's not. So we might discuss that a little bit next week. Whatever. Call this the supplemental syllabus lecture. And if you are one of my regular internet listeners, P.S., I have regular internet listeners, feel free to ignore this one because it's not what you're looking for. Dostoevsky will come out later this week, hopefully, if all goes well. Um, for my actual students who I have assigned to listen to this lecture, um, this is the lecture you're looking for. Uh, we're going to talk about what our expectations are for the mythology class this semester. Um, so let's do this up formally. Um, as I said, I'm Professor Benjamin Kozlowski. Uh, I have been teaching at Montclair for four years at this point. Um, I teach, I originally signed up to teach General Humanities 2, which is this really fun class where we walk through the entirety of the modern and postmodern period in European history, and we read Faust, and it's great. Um, but they started to get me on the mythology, and they kind of moved me there all the time because it's their flagship class that brings a lot of students into the department, and I'm pretty good at teaching it, and the students like it, so I end up making a lot of humanities majors. Um, which, P.S., if you want to join the humanities major or get a minor or whatever, 
by all means, we're generally excited to have you. So if you enjoy this class and wanted to have other classes like it, our department is willing to present you with a lot of cool stuff. Um, mythology, it, as our flagship course, is what it says on the box. We're going to talk about mythology in here. Um, if you are hoping that we're going to talk about all of the mythologies, that's where you're wrong. We are going to cover primarily Greek and Roman mythology. We are going to delve into some other ancient Near East mythologies. We're going to touch on the Babylonian tradition, touch on the Egyptian tradition. We're going to do more than touch on the Hebrew Old Testament tradition, um, since I think that that's rather important for being a human being. Um... In short, that's a lot of what we're going to be doing in here. We're not going to talk about the Norse tradition, so if you came to hear about Thor and Odin, that's unfortunately not this class. I believe uh, Dr. Gill teaches the class on Norse mythology around here. I hear that he's really good. Um, probably keep taking this class anyway, because it'll make a good prerequisite. Um, if you're into some of the really abstruse stuff, like you want to hear about African folklore, or Native American mythology, or East Asian mythology, again, definitely not going to cover it in here. Could maybe cover it in other classes offered by the department. Um, take a look around, and if you are dissatisfied with what you find, feel free to tell someone about that. If we know that there's demand for this stuff, we may very well provide professors, classes, uh, stuff on the subject. I mean, I'd be fascinated to study this stuff. Like, I keep looking for somebody who knows anything about Native American mythology, and I keep coming up short. Um, but then it's, like, not something that I'm required to teach, so it's not something I'm working very hard to find out. Um, all that to say, we're going to cover primarily Greek and Roman mythology, the stuff you're likely already at least somewhat familiar with, either because you've run across it in high school, or because you're a big fan of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, or whatever. Um, it's current in our popular culture. It informs a lot of the stories that we tell to each other, even today. Um, and that's why it's important. Like, the assumptions made by the Greeks and Romans persist to this day. Their attitudes about fate, their attitudes about death, their attitudes about men and women, um, their attitudes about sex and sexuality. One of the other classes that I teach at one of my other schools is literally on the subject of the philosophy of love and friendship, how our relationships um, have developed over time. And the fact of the matter is, there's very little that I have to teach in that class that doesn't in some way derive from the ancient Greeks and Romans. Um, we are still caught up in Plato's categories and his idea of love as something transcendent and all-consuming. We are still caught up by Stoicism's sort of suspiciousness of love and of passion. Um, all of that is very much in the myths that we are going to be teaching and talking about in this class, and it is still haunting us to this day. Um, and the only way to keep it from haunting us, the only way to overcome those presuppositions, the only way to move on from the things that we learn uh, in these myths is to know them. So that's what we're doing in here. We're going to talk about these myths, we're going to talk about these the values in these cultures, and we're going to try and learn what they tell us about ourselves in some sense. Um, that's what humanities is all about. Um, so let's jump into the syllabus and actually talk about what exactly we're going to do. Um, 
I should mention, just on the outset, I'm going to talk to both of my classes in this lecture uh, because I'm lazy and I don't want to record two of these and because my voice is not is definitely not going to be up for recording two of these. Um, so I will occasionally say things like, for my morning class, do this. For my evening class, do that. Uh, because I'm teaching two classes at Montclair, one in the morning, one in the evening, both on Wednesdays. Um, and there are going to be slightly different rules because one is an all-in-person class and one is a hybrid class, which I still don't exactly know what that means, but I've at least figured out what we're going to do with it here. Um, so to start, you should be able to look at the syllabus, and P.S., if you're not looking at the syllabus, do that, like, bring it up. It is on the Canvas Modules page. Virtually everything that we talk about today is going to be on the Canvas Modules page, so go there, look up the syllabus. If you can't find it there, it should be very close to the top. Um, feel free to look at the actual syllabus page on Canvas. Like, if you go over the left-hand menu, it says Syllabus. You click on it, it brings up a little link. You click on the link, it brings up the syllabus. Um, hopefully not rocket science. Um, at any rate, the syllabus. You'll notice it has when we are meeting, the place we are meeting, unless it's wrong like it apparently is on the first syllabus. I'm so sorry. I, I am very, very much flying by the seat of my pants this semester, it seems, what with being sick and all. Um, but let's start with the really pragmatic stuff that you're going to immediately want to know, namely our textbooks. Um, we have three textbooks in this class. Uh, we have Gods, Heroes, and Monsters, 2nd Edition, which you should be able to look that up on Amazon or something and find out that it is this very classy-looking black textbook um, with a lot of stuff in it. Um, I've looked at a lot of textbooks for this class, and I kind of hate all of them except this one. So this is the one we're using. Um, the weird thing about mythology textbooks is that it is so freaking hard to organize the subject matter. Um, like, I've seen textbooks where they organize it by author, and that's cool, but weird, because, like, every author covers a weird sort of cross-section of mythology. Um, I've seen textbooks where they organize it by subject matter, like this one does, but it's occasionally just weird on that front, and it's like, well, why did you put this in this category as opposed to that category? Uh, and I have my claim, my problems here, too. Uh, but the really cool thing about God's Heroes and Monsters is that it's not just the Greeks. Like, what's really, really cool about it is that it covers a wide variety of mythological traditions in the ancient Near East. So we have some, you know, it is organized by topic, but, like, we look at the creation myths chapter, and it's like, okay, so here is, you know, Hesiod, as you would expect. Um, but here is also Ovid, you know, and his creation myth from the Metamorphoses. And look, we've got, like, an Egyptian myth of creation, and about the Babylonian Enuma Elish, and this really weird Phoenician history thing. Like, it's really cool that they are all just stuck here side by side. Um, and it's important to Carolina Lopez Ruiz that we have that context. So we're going to take advantage of that. Uh, we're choosing this textbook specifically because it gives us a really interesting look at a whole bunch of different cultures and gives us a great opportunity to do some comparative mythology here. Um, and we're clearly going to do that. Like in the first couple of weeks, we're going to spend some time talking about all of these different creation myths and how they are similar and how they are different and how they might influence each other and what they have to say and what each culture values. Um, that's neat stuff. So that's why I'm using this textbook. Let me stress, if you're going to, if you're like, currently textbookless, um, and you are wondering, you know, what textbooks you need to get as soon as possible, in theory they should all be at the bookstore. Like, for the first time in my life, I've actually communicated with Montclair's bookstore 
And I think my books are in, and like everything is working for some reason. This never happens. I'm usually way too disorganized for this. But this year, somehow, I figured that one out. Um, so they should all be at the campus bookstore. You should be able to steal them from other professors if you can't find them for my class, because a lot of the other professors use the same books. Obviously, many of them are also on Amazon, so feel free to look them up there. Um, we are not going to start in with the textbooks for at least another week. Um, next week, we are going to be looking at some online articles that I picked out for you, none of which come from our textbook, so you've got some grace time on that one. You've got two whole weeks before we're actually using the textbook. Um, and more importantly, this is the textbook we're going to use in two weeks. Uh, we have staggered the class rather dramatically. So the first time we actually use any of the other textbooks won't be until probably March, uh, like after the midterm, because um, that's just how I roll. So if you're going to rush deliver something from Amazon, rush deliver the Lopez Ruiz textbook. Um, if you are going to look for discounts, by all means, feel free for the other two. Um, so yeah. That's the deal with the first textbook. The other two, like I said, they are less high priority because we are going to not get into them until March. Um, the first of the two is the Essential Homer. Um, and this is just a fairly boilerplate, uh, like, abridged version of both of the Iliad and the Odyssey. Um, we're using the Lombardo translation because I love the Lombardo translation. Like, I've encountered some of the other translations. I haven't, like, gotten really close to them, so I really couldn't tell you, like, what makes Fagel's worse than Lombardo or whatever. Um, what I can say about Lombardo is that that's the one that I read when I was in mythology classes, which is probably how all these professors pick their textbooks in the first place. Like, it's not because this one's better. It's because this is the one they're more familiar with. Um, but the really cool thing about Lombardo is that he is a pretty straight talker. Um, he likes rendering his ancient Greek into plain English. Um, so rather than try and capture the highfalutin epic style of Homer, which, you know, many writers have aped over the years and have sort of, like, valued higher than it probably should be, um, Lombardo just tries to make them talk like they're speaking in, you know, normal 20th century, 21st century English. Um, so you will have, like, Agamemnon and Achilles swear at each other, or call each other dogface, or, you know basically use pretty crass explanations for things. And I think that's honestly how the Greeks would have had it. Um, like, that's probably more accurate to the ancient Greek than what we usually get from somebody like Fagels or, God forbid, Alexander Pope trying to render this sort of highfalutin epic style. Um, it's complicated. There's definitely disagreement to be had there. Different translators, different scholars will argue different things about this. This is where I'm going, though, because on the one hand, it makes for an easy read, and I know that my students appreciate that. Um, and on the other hand, because it makes it easy to talk about, which I appreciate. So, you know, advantages there all around. Um, the great thing about the Essential Homer is that it is heavily abridged. Like, Lombardo has actually presented whole translations of both the Iliad and the Odyssey. Um, they're both great but we're not going to read the whole books, and I actually really like the way that uh, Lombardo breaks it up in The Essential Homer, so we're going to be able to read through most of this book. We're going to, like, duck around a little bit for the Iliad, but pretty much read his whole translation of the Odyssey here. It's just very handy, so definitely get the book. It will help you immeasurably towards the end of the semester, but again, we're not using it until March, so take your time. Um, the last of the books, the Theban plays by Sophocles, 
I'll tell you right now, if you don't get it, that's fine. Like, this is literally the crap Dover Thrift Edition. It is working off of a public domain translation, which you can find online for free and download at your discretion. What's more, while it is very convenient to have the Essential Homer, because we're going to refer to it often and because it's nice to have page numbers and stuff, we're literally going to talk about Oedipus Rescs for like one week this semester, and that's it. And it is the last week in the semester at that. Um, so I will want you to read the play, but I don't care if it's from the specific textbook that I am recommending here. Um, that said, it's also the cheapest version I've found, so it's like five dollars. So it's not a huge investment if you do get it, and it is really convenient, especially if you want to do one of the extra credit assignments, which is basically to read another of the three Theban plays. Um, it's nice to have around. You're not going to use it until, like, April. Use your discretion on this one. Um, now, the rest, what follows on the first page and the second page is, like, teacher stuff. Like, me talking about what are the expectations from the class, how do I fulfill the general education requirements, what exactly are we doing in this class. Um, most of that we don't have to care about. Like, the two basic fundamental principles that I want to sort of bring up here and address um, are the two primary goals of this class. First off, you're supposed to learn mythology, and we will. Like, we're going to learn who all the major gods and goddesses are, we're going to encounter most of the great heroes, we're going to talk about all this stuff. Great, awesome. Like, that's something that you should do in a mythology class. Um, but the other thing that I definitely want to stress in here, and that we will talk about quite a bit, is how to read these things. Um, the more sophisticated skill set that we're going to be running into here is not content. It is not what your high school English teachers were doing. We are not going to, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to make you tons of quizzes that basically ask you content questions. Like, there will be some of those, sure. I will ask things like, you know, who did Zeus overthrow in order to take over the universe? Or who brought fire to the humans? Um, all questions that you should be able to answer by the end of this class. What's more important to me is how we understand these things, how we interpret these myths. Um, and these myths have been around for, you know, 3,000 years at, in many cases at this point. There have been a lot of people over the millennia who have interpreted these myths to mean certain things at certain times, to, you know, mean certain things for certain cultures, to be re re represented in certain ways over time. Um, they've meant different things to different people. And we need to be aware of that. We need to understand not just what do they say, but what do they say at certain times to certain people? What do they say about certain things to certain people? Um, this is the business in academia of critical lenses, as we usually talk about it. Criticism generally is not like a good or bad, yes or no sort of approach. This is not like a video game criticism, where you just skip down to the bottom of the of the article to see what numerical grade was given. Like, we are not going to rate Oedipus 6 out of 10 and Orpheus 9 out of 10. Like, that's not going to happen in this class. What I mean instead is, how do we understand what is being said and how it is being said according to different opinions and different perspectives throughout history and throughout culture? Um, how are we going to read Jason and the Argonauts, not just from 
the perspective of the Greeks who, who wrote it and who would have read it originally, but also from the perspective of contemporary, contemporary feminism or contemporary race theory or contemporary, um, contemporary perspectives on how narrative is supposed to be presented. Um, this is what I'm kind of keen to talk about in here. And we are going to use the opportunity to look at these myths from a variety of different perspectives as time goes on. We're definitely going to talk a lot about the values that these myths communicate, what they are trying to teach the people who are listening to them and the people who are writing them. Um, that's usually important to me. Like, I, I didn't mention this earlier, probably should have, but I'm not actually a classicist. I'm a philosopher. Um, like at the other schools where I teach, I teach philosophy. Only here at Montclair do I teach humanities because Montclair has a fairly open-minded perspective on who can teach humanities. And they actually appreciate the fact that I come at it from a different angle than many other professors who have, in fact, formally uh, learned in a classics department. Um, as a philosopher, I'm interested in what the myths are communicating as far as their values are concerned. What do they say about how we're supposed to treat men and women? How are we supposed to go about having sex? How are we supposed to treat other people? Um, that fascinates me, and that will definitely get passed on to you by the end of this class. But that's just one part of the iceberg here. Um, how would a feminist read this? How would a Marxist read this? How would, you know, somebody approaching it from critical race theory read this myth? Um, that's equally important here. So we're going to be trying our hands at a variety of different backgrounds for our critical apparatus. We're going to put on a comparative mythology hat, and we're going to put on a historical interpretation hat, and we're going to try and understand it from the perspective of their own culture, and we are going to try and understand this from the perspective of our own culture. We're going to bounce back and forth between these perspectives. We're going to try them on at different times, and I'm hoping by the end of this class, you will be able to move through these perspectives as easily as you will know information about the myths. Um, that you will just as easily be able to jump in and out of the feminist perspective when you're talking about some movie that you just saw online, as opposed to some myth that we've read 2,000 years ago. That's kind of my secret goal here. That's kind of, in many ways, the more important business here. Then in the whole, you know, let's make sure that you know exactly what the difference is between Heracles and Theseus. Um, the information you can find relatively easily. Like, I'm sure many of you will spend a lot of time on Google, like, looking up this information. Perhaps at times when it's not appropriate. Um, but at any rate, like, that's easy to figure out. What's difficult to figure out is that jumping back and forth between perspectives. Learning to see the world the way the Greeks did and learning to see the world the way that feminists do, and Marxists do, and people or people of color do. Like, that's important. Being able to see it from all of these sides, to appreciate the nuances of what's going on here, to recognize that what seems misogynistic to one color might actually be an act of feminism seen from another perspective at another time. Um, it's complicated, and I want us to appreciate that complication. Um, now, with that in mind, obviously, that brings us into some fairly complicated and messy territory in this class. 
which is a nice way to segue into our conduct section. Um, the conduct section is fairly boilerplate. I imagine you've seen most of this before, but there are a few things that I've sort of like hashed out over time that we should talk about here. So let's discuss what I mean by the various things in the conduct section. Um, first off, cell phones should be turned off and ignored throughout class. I feel like, again, that's really boilerplate and really straightforward. Um, obviously, if I'm lecturing, you should be paying attention to the lecture. Like, I'm not going to get terribly upset about my pride being hurt, but I will get really annoyed and upset if you are distracting other students. Um, so if your cell phone goes off in class, I expect you to, like, either immediately turn it off or, like, run out of the room and take it because I don't want you, obviously, talking on your phone in the classroom while we're trying to have class. Um, but this also goes for all electronic devices. Like, if you are, you know, quietly listening to music on your laptop or whatever, I'm not going to get too terribly upset about it unless you're distracting other people, unless it's too loud for them to concentrate. Or if you're watching some YouTube video and half the class is watching it with you because you're sitting in the front row. Um, stuff happens. Like, when I was a seminary student, I definitely only got through my like dispensational millennialism course by playing Super Hexagon the entire time. It was the only way that I could stay awake. If that's what's happening to you, fine. Play your Super Hexagon or sit on your laptop at the very back row of the class so you're not distracting anyone. Do what you gotta do. Um, but generally speaking, if we are in class, the focus should be on the class material. Um, you should be taking notes, or you should be listening to the lecture, or you should be looking over the textbook, or you should be, you know, looking for supplemental information online. Um, heck, fact check me. That's always fun. By all means, raise your hand and tell me when I'm wrong. Um, that's what you should be focusing on. And if you can't do that for whatever reason, make sure that you're not preventing anyone else from doing it. That's basically all I'm going to ask here. I really do not want to have to deal with some student saying, you know, so-and-so is doing this thing on their laptop and it's super distracting right now. Um, so just be courteous. Uh, be, be thoughtful to the other students. That's all I ask. Um, second thing on the conduct list, late assignments will not be accepted without prior consultation with the professor. And let me just tell you straight out, this is a bald-faced lie. Um, like, I put it on here to cover my ass because there will come a time where I'm not going to accept any more late assignments, and they will be due at the due date, and you will fail if they aren't turned in. Um, but most of the time, that's not true. The fact of the matter is, I am kind of a giant teddy bear when it comes to due dates, when it comes to grading, when it comes to all the business of collecting assignments. Um... Basically, the major thing that I want from you is that you talk to me about it beforehand. If you tell me the day before the research paper is due that you're probably not going to be able to get it in on time because you suddenly got booked for another shift or because you're attending a funeral or because somebody in your house is sick, that's fine. Like, I will in all likelihood give you the extra day or the extra two days or whatever it turns out to be. Um... Because I, you know, it's no skin off my nose. I'm probably not going to start grading this stuff for, until later anyway. Um, so it's, you know, by all means, tell me about this stuff. Where it becomes a problem is when it's the day after. 
when you're like, oh, I didn't get it to you because I was taking care of my sick grandmother or because I had to go to this funeral or because I had this really late work shift, that's where I start wondering if my student is messing with me. And, you know, the thing about lying is you can't very well tell somebody that you're not lying. Like, you can convince, you can try to convince them. You can do the whole thing where it's like, professor, I'm not lying to you. Like, I never do this. And trust me, I've heard that a billion friggin' times at this point. And, you know, because lying, if you were lying the first time, why wouldn't you be lying the second time? And if you are telling the truth, how can I know the difference between that? Um, so the easiest way to handle this is just tell me about it beforehand. Like, I want to hear from you. That's kind of one of the things that I'm hoping to do in this class. I want to have an open channel of communication with you. Um, and it is way easier for you to get extensions and to, you know, get accommodations when weird things are happening in your life if I know what's going on in your life. If I know that, you know, your grandmother is frequently sick. Or if I know that, you know, like, you've got this job that will give you shifts at the drop of a hat for no reason. Um, if I know that that's going on in your life, then when you tell me, Professor, I can't get this assignment done on time because, hey, that thing I told you about, it happened, I will be much more understanding. So, in general, what I highly recommend is just talk to me. Keep that channel of communication open, not just for, you know, I need an extension, but for all sorts of things. Um, like, it's going to help your class participation grade at the end of the day, it's going to help me, you know, trust you and give you assignments, and it's going to help me to know where you're at in this class, whether you're struggling, whether you're doing well, how confident you feel about the stuff. Like, just talk to me. Um, send me an email. Ask me a question about the reading or about the assignment. That's all fine. I definitely want to help out with these things. Um, so yeah, just keep an open channel of communication. Let me know before the due date that you're going to be late for some reason or that you need an extension. And I will, in all likelihood, give it to you. Um, so just let me know. That's kind of the moral here. Um, we'll come back around to that. But first, the one exception to this, the one exception to me being a giant teddy bear and being accommodating and accepting and all of that is plagiarism. Plagiarism will not be tolerated. Plagiarized assignments will immediately receive zero credit. This is not a bald-faced lie. This is the truth. I will absolutely just stick zeros on anything that I find that's plagiarized. So don't plagiarize. We'll come back around to that as well. Um, the next two are a little fuzzier and require significantly more explanation, so we're going to do that. Um, first off, students should conduct themselves professionally and should preserve the classroom setting as a place for free intellectual discourse. Harassment based on race, sex, gender, religion, or ability will not be tolerated. Um, again, I imagine this is one that we've seen on many a syllabi at this point. Um, but it kind of goes double in here for a few reasons. Like I said, a lot of what we're going to be talking about in this class is sensitive. Um, mythology gets into the deep, dark places of our minds and hearts and souls in some respects. We're going to be talking about a lot of difficult stuff. Like, obviously, we're going to be talking about religion. Like, that's, that's a given. Like, maybe not in the sense that you're used to, insofar as we're talking about, like, old pagan religions of yesteryear, but the fact of the matter is, paganism is back with a vengeance, baby, and there are a lot of pagans hanging around these days, although frequently they don't call themselves that. Um, some people may actually believe in these Greek and Roman gods. Uh, we are, for sure, also going to talk about Christianity. Um, Judaism and Christianity very much grew out of the ancient Greek and uh, Roman 
mythological and religious traditions. Not to say that they're based in them, but that they have very close ties with them. So we are going to talk very much about the Old Testament and the New Testament, how they relate to Greek and Roman mythology, how they are different from Greek and Roman mythology, which means we're going to be talking about things that people in this class take very seriously. And being dismissive of them may cause problems. Uh, what's more, some of the subject matter is going to get really dicey. Like, I don't know if you know this, but there is a lot of rape in mythology. Like, a lot. It happens all the time. There are going to be very few stories that we read in this class where rape is not discussed at some point in time, where it is not taken as, you know, normal. Um, and this makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Like, this is one of the big trigger topics. Um, so I'm going to warn you right now, like, if you are triggered by rape and discussions of rape, you might want to take a different class. Um, I will try to be as sensitive about the discussion of rape in here as we possibly can, but the fact of the matter is the Greeks saw this as normal, that it happened all the time to women and to men um, in the Greek world. It was a dangerous time, especially if you were a woman. Um, so the gods are going to rape humans, and humans are going to rape one another, and it's going to be bad. Um, and we need to be sensitive about this. We need to be aware of the fact that people are going to have different reactions to these discussions according to what their own personal experiences may be. Um, that means that if somebody does overreact, if somebody does react unexpectedly, if somebody suddenly does get passionate or heated about this, we need to be careful, we need to be sympathetic, we need to be caring. Um, and there are a couple of weight things that I want to emphasize about this. First off, let me just say that the internet is bullshit at handling this. Like, I know that we are all kind of used to interacting with the internet at this point. I mean, I say that to my students, and I know perfectly well that at this point I, like, go out of my way to stay off the internet, and I do not go on discussions, and I do not have a Twitter account, and I, like, avoid sensitive material on Facebook like the plague. Um, and all of you are probably much more familiar with horrible flame wars and trolling and all the shit storm that can come about the minute you utter an opinion on the internet. Um, let me stress that this is not going to fly in here, though. Um, we need to have a intelligent discourse about these subjects, about these issues. And it's not going to fly for two reasons. Because the usual two things that you can do on the internet that you cannot do in a classroom are, one, avoid the situation entirely and just not talk about it, which we can't do because we actually have to study what's going on, whether it is discussing the fundamental uh, beliefs and principles of Christianity, something that, you know, you don't bring up at Thanksgiving dinner because Uncle So-and-so is going to throw a fit, or we're not going to be able to just, you know, say whatever is on our minds completely willy-nilly without any regard for the other people sitting there the way that you can in a Reddit forum or something. Um, we have to be aware of what other people in this class may have as far as experiences. We have to be sympathetic to those. Um, so with that in mind, I want to stress... We have to talk about this stuff, and we have to talk about it civilly, generously, kindly. We have to be caring to one another. The way that I usually put it in, in my classes when I sort of express this to them is that I do want you to sweat in this class. Like, people talk about how, you know, you're not supposed to feel uncomfortable in a college classroom. Well, to some degree, you are. Like, I am supposed to challenge ideas in here. I'm supposed to, you know, question the things that you believe. 
Um, I have to do that. That's my job. Like, the Greeks are going to disagree with you on virtually everything you believe about the world, and I want you to, at the very least, be able to understand why they believe these things and appreciate the value of believing them in this particular way, even if it does fly in the face of what you believe, even if it doesn't seem kind at many, on many occasions. Um, I want to challenge you to change your opinions, because, again, college, that's what college is for. Um, if you already knew everything that there is to know about the world, then you wouldn't need me. Um, but to do that, to challenge you, to put you on the spot, to question your convictions, there has to be an understanding between the two of you that by questioning convictions, by challenging your opinions, I'm not saying that you're stupid, and I'm not saying that you're wrong, and I'm not saying that you're a bad person. Um, like, you've got to figure out whether you're a good or bad person, whether you're right or wrong, whether what you believe is true or false on your own time. Like, that's not my job. Um, I can help you with that if you want to have a conversation about that, but it's not what we're going to be doing in class, for sure. I need to be able to put you on the spot, and I need you to understand that it's not personal. And it needs to not be personal. Those are the two sides of it. I need us to challenge one another. I need us to question one another. And I need us to feel comfortable being challenged and questioned. In short, I want you to sweat in this class. I want you to raise your hand, and I want you to say something controversial, and I want some people to be able to poke at it. And I want this entire process to occur, making everybody a little bit on edge, while also not offending or upsetting anyone. I want sweat, not blood, and not tears. It, we can discuss the ideas in here, and we have to discuss the ideas in here without discussing them on a personal level. The fact that somebody is a Christian and that you think that Christian uh, mythology is as ridiculous as Greek and Roman mythology, that's a very difficult line to walk. Saying, why do you believe this is much better than saying, that's dumb, what? don't do that. Um, do not imply that the people who believe XYZ are morons. Instead, ask them, why do you believe these things? What is it about this that appeals to you? Because then we all learn something. Then we all get closer to understanding one, one another. Don't turn it into a personal attack. Do not, you know, like, challenge somebody in respect of saying, like, that's dumb, i.e. you're dumb, or, you know, you are wrong, or you believe something that is ridiculous. Instead, question the convictions. Um, I will tell you right here and right now, I am a Christian. I believe in what is written in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you want to, like, question me on that, go for it. I want to explain myself. I am foaming at the mouth to tell you why I believe what I believe and why it is not totally idiotic and why so many Christians in this day and age are just idiots and wrong and why that's not what I'm doing. Um... So do not feel, you know, concerned about my feelings or, or my perspectives. Nothing you say is going to be more destructive to my ideas than what I've already run into from other students, other teachers, other professors, other writers, and other places. Um, but generally speaking, especially with the other students in the class, be sensitive. Talk about the idea, not the person who has that idea. But on the flip side, we also can't be defensive. Like, there are tons of Christians out there who you say, you know, 
like Genesis 1 and its telling of how the world was made in seven days is impossible, and they will immediately jump to the defense. How dare you say that? It says in the Bible, the Bible is more trustworthy, and here is all this, you know, evolutionary evidence from Ken Ham and the Creation Museum and so on and so forth, and that's also what we're not going to do here. Um, you cannot jump to the conclusion that challenging an idea is an attack on you. Like, you have to separate yourself personally from the things that you believe to some degree in this classroom. And I know that to some degree that's also bullshit. Like, who we are is made up of what we believe. Um, you know, I say I am a Christian, and that tells you a lot about who I am, what I believe, who I take for being important, what I think is, is important to do and not to do. Um, so if you challenge Christianity, you do, to some degree, challenge my identity. And the same is true for anyone who in our class who is Wiccan, or who is uh, a Muslim, or who is Jewish, or who is, you know, Hindu. Any number of different convictions here. Um, but we have to recognize that having a discussion about these things, challenging these things, talking about why people have challenged these things, talking about the various perspectives involved, that does not equate to a direct attack on your religion, on your beliefs, on what you think about yourselves. It is a very fine line to walk, and it's going to be tricky to walk it. Like, it always is. Um, there are always moments in my classes where everybody kind of goes quiet. We all understand that, like, we're really close to the line, and we do not want to cross it. Um, and I think generally students have always been understanding. It's been rare that I've had to, like, tell a student, don't do that, or, you know, don't say that about somebody else. Like, I have had a student call out another one, say that they were a moron, and I got very angry about it. Um, so help me to do this. Help me to call out the people who are attacking each other, and help me to not jump to the conclusion that you're being attacked if that's not the intention behind the comments that are being made. Um, again, no blood, no tears. Um, and don't, you know, be thin-skinned about it either. Um, if I... If I if I miss something, like, if you are being attacked, if you do feel attacked, and I'm not putting it down, I'm not catching it, I'm not recognizing this, by all means, talk to me about it after class. Like, I need to make this a safe place for us to have these discussions, and if I'm failing in that job, I need to fix that. Um, but I think generally I've gotten fairly good at it. So hopefully, hopefully you will feel safe enough to sort of stand on the edge and have these challenging conversations by the end of the class. That's at least what we're aiming for here. Um, so let me know how I'm doing if I'm not doing great and if I need to do more. Um, so with that in mind, let's segue to the next subject. Pride is overrated. Questions and mistakes are encouraged. Um, as the sort of caveat to we're going to have difficult conversations in here, we also have to recognize that people are going to screw up. Um, mistakes will be made. People are going to look dumb. I'm going to look dumb. Um, and I know that this is not ideal. That all of you are involved in this very complex occupational social world when you were in college. And that the people who you are going to class with are the same people who you are going to dinners with and who you are spending a lot of time with and who are your friends and who you hang out with and who you are hoping to date at some point. Like, I recognize that even at this very moment... When you are looking at the, you know, other people in this class, you are thinking to yourselves, you know, who in this class is date-worthy material. And I recognize that in order to have these relationships, in order to maintain these friendships, and to in, or in order to pursue these romances, you have to look kind of awesome. You have to not 
let everyone know when you are making mistakes and being stupid. I know that you are, in many cases, terrified at the prospect of looking like an idiot in my classroom. That happens. Like, the same was true when I was in college, the same is true for everyone everywhere all the time. Looking confident, looking cocksure, looking like you know what you, what's up and that you're intelligent and know what's going on, you know, that'll get you president if, in fact, you just cultivate it hard enough. Um, so... The trouble with that is you don't learn anything from it. Like, if you are absolutely convinced that you know everything there is to know about the world, and that there is nothing that I can teach you or that anyone else can teach you, then you are not going to learn anything, and you're not going to improve, and you are going to stagnate in your pool of self-confidence. Um, and that won't fly in this class. If you're going to learn, you're going to have to do things like ask questions, possibly stupid questions, um, which... I say that knowing that every student I've had will, like, say that, you know, I, I've had students raise their hand and say, you know, this is a stupid question, but, and I hate that. Like, I wish you wouldn't do that. No, there are no stupid questions. Maybe I have said it before. Who cares? If you don't know it, probably somebody else in the class doesn't know it as well. Um, if we talked about this and it didn't come through, or if we talked about this and I didn't make it clear, by all means, ask me the question. I'm not going to get mad at you. I will never get mad at you, and I will never think less of you for asking a question. The students who tend to ask the most questions in my classes tend to do the best, or at least tend to improve the most. Um, so by all means, ask those stupid questions. Look like an idiot. Agree with whoever your friends are in this class, or whoever you're thinking about dating in this class, that you're both going to look like idiots, you're both going to raise your hands, you're both going to make mistakes, you're both going to leave your pride at the door, and you're both going to learn a lot. Um, that, I tend to think, is actually way more important than any of the swagger that is necessary for pursuing normal social behavior in college these days. But, you know, what do I know? Um, so at any rate, leave your pride at the door. It is overrated. Make some mistakes. Get your hands dirty. Ask a stupid question or three. It will help you immensely in this class. Um, and it helps me, too. Like, it helps me know where you're at. It helps me know, you know, what you need to know. What's more... I'm going to look like an idiot all the time, like all the time. I'm going to absolutely get overexcited about things, and I'm going to say stupid things, and I'm going to, you know, answer questions with bullshit sometimes and apologize about it. Like, I will make mistakes in here, and I hope that you have the grace and courtesy to forgive me when I do, especially when I'm, you know, sick and failing to come into class on time. Um... Anyway, that's the conduct section. I hope it is fairly self-explanatory. If you do have any questions about it, feel free to talk to me about it. Send me an email, catch me after class, whatever. We can always talk about this more. I know that delivering this stuff via recorded lecture on Anchor or Spotify or whatever you're listening to this on is not the ideal delivery mechanism. I wish I was in class to talk about this stuff with you so we could sort of address this and I could gauge where you're at. Um, but at any rate, not happening. So let's move on. Attendance policy. Uh, my attendance policy in here is pretty ridiculous. Like, in the time of COVID, attendance policies have definitely taken a break, which is fine with me because I hated them to begin with. I was definitely the student in college who showed up to, like, 50% of the classes for my physics class because I definitely learned all the same stuff in high school. And I got a B plus, and I was perfectly happy with that, and I think that is how all college classes should work, where you just show up for whatever you need to do, and then you do it, and then you go home, and everything's great. Um, but alas, I do not make all the decisions. Uh, the trouble is, with COVID, 
you know, if you're sick, you can't show up. Like, please don't. Don't come to class if you are sick. Like, I don't care whether it's COVID or not. If you don't know if it's COVID or not. Hell, if it's not COVID and you know it's not COVID, don't come to class anyway. I don't want to get sick. Um, I'm already sick. It sucks. And it has sucked. and probably only is going to suck more. So it's going to be a weird semester this year. If you can't make it, fine. Just like the uh, extensions and stuff, let me know. Send me an email. Send me a Canvas message. Tell me, you know, my car wouldn't start today, or I am sick, or I have some other obligation that I need to attend to. That is fine. Um, hell, you can just send me the, the email that says, I'm not feeling it today, so I'm not going to show up. And I'll be like, okay, that's an excused absence. No big deal. Um, I don't want anyone to overstress themselves. I have had many students, especially last semester. I don't know what it was about last semester. Like, I thought we were kind of over over the hump as far as the whole COVID stress thing was concerned. But apparently, like, students freaking broke last semester. Fall of 2021 will be remembered as a semester that will live in infamy because students were just, like, having nervous breakdowns and falling apart at the seams left and right. Don't let that happen to you. Take the day off. Go get some ice cream. Like, I don't care. Just... Keep up with the assignments, listen to the recorded lectures. I have tons of materials online now if, in fact, you miss class. Like, you can get this information other ways. It's fine. We'll figure it out. Just let me know. Um, if I don't hear from you, if you do routinely miss class, yeah, I'm going to dock points. I have a whole attendance and participation section. We'll talk about that later. Um, you will lose points there, but it's not going to kill your grade. Like, nobody's going to fail over the amount of class that they miss in this class unless... They're also missing assignments, and they're also missing, you know, major chunks of class time to, to do work and stuff. Like, that's what it comes down to. Um, typically, if you have missed 60% of the class sessions, you're also missing big assignments, and that's why you're going to fail. Um, the fact of the matter is, you need to keep up with the class, one way or the other, in order to get a good grade in here, in order to get any decent grade in here. Um, so, you know, by all means, take your mental health days, take the day off, whatever. Just know you should probably keep up at some point. You should listen to the lecture, or you should email me to, to talk about what we talked about in class, or get notes from another student, however you want to do this. Um, otherwise, you might not know it immediately, but it will catch up with you. Um, once the midterm rolls around, once the final exam rolls around, shit hits the fan. Um, and you don't want to be there when it does. Uh, so, again, just let me know if you can't make it to class for something. Other stuff. First off, let's talk office hours. So I don't have an office because I'm an adjunct professor and we don't get offices. I mean, we kind of do. There's like this big communal office space in Dixon Hall that I never go to because it's always busy and crowded and noisy. Um, how I conduct my office hours is I just like hang out in the library for long periods of time. Um, there's this whole area on the second floor with a bunch of tables and chairs between all the bookshelves. That is where I live, man. I love it there. Like, I got all these books around, so if I suddenly get the hankering to read something, I can just, like, dart into the stacks, grab what I need, and dart back out again. It's great. Um, so if you need to see me for office hours, that's where I'm going to be. Um, the only day I'm on campus is Wednesdays. Uh, so come look for me on Wednesdays. But the good news is that I'm going to be on campus, like, all day Wednesday. Uh, my first class is at 10.45. My last class is at 7 o'clock p.m. So I'm going to be on campus for, like, 9, 10 hours a day. It's going to be fun. 
Um, now, there is a distinct possibility that on some days, especially if I'm feeling like crap, I'm going to just go home and then come back for the second part of the class. But in all likelihood, I'm not going to do that. And I'm just going to camp out in the library with all of the work I need to do. I'm just going to sit there and do it for like literally eight hours. Um, maybe I'll be reading. Maybe I'll be sitting on my laptop playing Slay the Spire. Who knows? But at any rate, you should be able to find me on the second floor of the library at some point between 1.15 and seven o'clock so by all means come look for me there if you have questions about the class or if you just want to sit and chat because i'm going to be friggin bored out of my mind so by all means i will appreciate any visitors that i will get um keep them coming second if you have a disability or a special accommodation if you're registered with the office of specialized services or i think that's the one here i always get it confused i teach at like five different schools and they all call it something different so I'm frequently messed up about what the name of the office is. At any rate, if you have a special accommodation, if you have a disability, if you need something from me as far as that's concerned, just let me know as soon as possible. I know at this point I've already received quite a few emails from students, and I will hopefully implement those changes as, as quickly as possible. They tend to be pretty easy to take care of. I just need to know in advance. That's, that's all it comes down to, so just let me know. Um, if you're on the fence about it, I've had students in the past who are like, well, I used to be registered in high school, I used to have an IEP, but now I'm thinking about going without. That's fine. Talk to them anyway. They'll totally understand if you're, you know, trying to push yourself harder. Um, and worst case scenario, it means that you're not doing a whole lot of paperwork towards the end of the class when things get stressful. Um, so just talk to people. Like, I, as far as I can tell, people are fairly nice around here. Fairly nice. Like, it is Montclair. I don't know what to tell you. You're going to run into a mixed bag. That's just the way it works. Such are colleges. Um, but anyway, yeah, talk to me about it. Level with me. I'll absolutely help in whatever way I can. And also keep my hands off as much as you want me to. So nothing but benefit all the way around. Third, academic integrity. Would you look at that? Plagiarism will not be tolerated. Plagiarized assignments will immediately receive zero credit. That is important enough to say twice. All right. So I'm fucking done with plagiarism like in 2020 when everybody moved online it was incredibly stressful and everybody freaked out and everybody lost their shit it was very very bad and then by fall of 2020 it's like all of the students turned into monsters like nobody was doing their own work everybody was plagiarizing for every assignment like seriously i think it was the graduating class at freaking west point like the freshman class showed up in 2020 in the fall of 2020, took their final exams, and something like a third of the freshman class flunked out because they had all plagiarized. And I can attest to this because I had a third of my students plagiarize the final exam as well. A third! One out of every three! Good grief! And they all failed. Like, every single one of them. Like, maybe some of them managed to get away with it because they only failed for one assignment, but for the most part, they all failed. Like, I literally told my department chair, a third of my class is failing my class because they all plagiarize. And she's like, yep, that checks out. And that was the end of the conversation. No, you were not going to successfully get through my class if you plagiarize. That's what it comes down to. Um, so don't do it. Do not plagiarize. There is no advantage in it for you. I realize that it is all that, like, betting game where it's like, are you doing it well enough to snow your professor? Don't take those odds. Like, literally, if you show up to my class with the final paper that literally says Professor Koslowski is a giant dick over and over again for 1,500 words, I will give you a better grade on that assignment than I will if I find out you have plagiarized. And in all likelihood, I will find out you have plagiarized. 
It, it is not subtle in most cases. Like, I have had students who... I have frequently had students who quote sources we never read in class, or who present arguments that we never discussed, or talk about details that never came up, like who talk about the wrong translation of a given myth. Or worse, it reads like gobbledygook for reasons we'll talk about. So just don't do it. Do your own work in here. It's honestly less work to write your own damn paper than it is to plagiarize well enough that it manages to snow your professor. Um, if you just sit in class, which you're probably going to have to do anyway, lest you fail for other reasons, um, then by all means, take a few notes, pay attention well enough, and turn in some garbage paper, and that's fine. Like, if you need to half-ass it for the final assignment, half-ass it. Get the 60 or the 75. It'll still be way better than the zero. Um, so just don't plagiarize. Now, obviously, there seems to be some question about what constitutes plagiarism these days. I have had many a student come to me and say, but Professor Kozlowski, I didn't know I was plagiarizing. And I always give them the look, like, really? Are we really doing this? Did you really somehow get through four years of high school and however many years of college without ever having the conversation about what constitutes plagiarism? And more and more I'm finding out that, yes, somehow this has happened. Somehow there are students getting through the system who have no fucking idea what plagiarism is. And somehow it has become my job. Professor Kozlowski paid a pittance to do an adjunct professor's work on the subject of mythology, trying to teach students about, you know, the Greeks and the Romans, and not necessarily your writing teachers, because they somehow totally missed the ball and you still don't know what plagiarism is. So let's be clear, right here and right now, what is plagiarism? Well, as far as Professor Kozlowski can tell, there are three kinds of plagiarism. Um, the first and most obvious kind of plagiarism is straight-up word-for-word plagiarism, i.e. you took something from online, you copied and pasted it, you put it directly into your paper, you didn't quote it or cite it or anything, you presented it as though it were your own work, and you shipped it off to me as though there was nothing wrong. And I took one look at this, and I'm like, that's from Sparknotes, because students have been plagiarizing Sparknotes for many years in my classes, so I, like, know them by heart at this point. And I'm like, that's clearly plagiarized, you get a zero, this assignment will ultimately not count towards your final grade. And that's the end of the conversation. Bing, bang, boom, you have plagiarized, you get a zero, that's all there is to it. Um, very few people disagree. Virtually everybody knows that this is plagiarism, so I don't get a lot of disagreement about that. The second kind of plagiarism, though, is where things get tricky. I apparently have a lot of students in this day and age who start with, you know, the giant section of spark notes that they are copying and pasting into their paper, but rather than directly copying and pasting it, they, like, stick it in Grammarly or one of the other various algorithms online. Like, I think even Turnitin has one at this point, which is just absolutely baffling to me and further just questions exactly what our culture thinks about the nature of plagiarism, but that's philosophy for another day. They apparently put it into these algorithms and then they make changes. Like, you plug it into Grammarly, and Grammarly is like, why don't you change this sentence around? Or why don't you use this word instead of that word? Or why don't you, you know, switch these two sentences? It makes the flow better. And my students just are like, yes, do that. Do all of the things. I accept this change. Just check, 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 all the way down the list. And then they're done, and they have a paper that isn't the same as the thing that they originally copied. So they take the new text, and they copy it directly into their paper, and they don't change a thing, and they don't cite it, and they send it to me. And they are failing because it is plagiarized. That also is plagiarism, folks. 
And I will get students come back to me and they're like, but professor, I checked it on turnitin.com and it said that it was a 0% plagiarism match. And I'm like, yes, I also checked it on turnitin and it came up as a zero plagiarism match. Nonetheless, it is clearly plagiarized. Plagiarism has nothing to do with the percentages. It has nothing to do with the numerical comparisons that are being conducted by these automated systems. I don't give a shit about any of that. Plagiarism is when you take a source that belongs to somebody else and you present it as your own. That's it. That is the sum total of what plagiarism is. It has nothing to do with the outcome of the paper, what the paper looks like in its final state. It has everything to do with the process by which you composed the paper. Did you take somebody else's work and present it as your own? Did you take somebody else's language and present it as your own? When I say I want you to compose an original paper for this class, what I mean is I want to see you start with nothing except the sources that we've talked about in class, whatever research you've done, and come up with your own synthesis of how these ideas and, and thinking fit together. I want you to think for yourself, in short. Not just copy and paste other people's ideas, not just crib from other sources, not just, you know, put somebody else's words into words that resemble your own. I do not want a 0% match plagiarism paper because at the end of the day that means that you just knew that you were taking it from another source and knew that you just had to doctor it enough to turn it into something original. But it's not original. This is not like Facebook where you can just copy and paste a meme from somebody else, repost it, get a whole bunch of likes, and this is the process by which it goes viral and nobody has a problem with this. No. This is academia. We expect you to think for yourselves. We expect you to demonstrate your understanding of this material when you sit down to write a paper. So when you start with a paper, what I expect to see is you starting with a blank screen. Not with spark notes open to the other window, not with some other source that you're, apparent, that you're going to crib from. Like, yeah, your research sources should be there, and yes, you should be taking their ideas and telling me about their ideas, but at the end of the day, you're not going to present their ideas as though they are yours. That's the key. You do the thinking. You put the connective tissue together. You take what we talked about in this class, this class, and this class, and you put it all together, and you produce something that is uniquely yours. Something that is entirely the product of your own rationalization. And admittedly, a lot of students are going to come to similar conclusions. I will inevitably get dozens of papers this semester on the subject of feminism and how the Greeks are a bunch of horrible misogynists. That's fine. But the key is, each of you is going to take away from all the stuff that we talk about in class different things to contribute to that argument. Some of you are going to talk about Jason and the Argonauts and how it is misogynistic. Some of you are going to talk about Homer and how he's misogynistic. And some of you are going to talk about Hesiod and why he's misogynistic. And in each of these works, you're going to pick out different details. Well, Jason and the Argonauts is misogynistic specifically because Medea is presented as a horrible monster. Or Jason and the Argonauts is misogynistic because all of the monsters are women and they are always overcome by men. Like, all of these examples I expect to see, but I expect to see each of you emphasizing different things. Talking about the things that matter most to you. I don't expect to see people gravitating on the same examples, the same arguments over and over and over again. And when they do... I get suspicious. I suspect that that's plagiarism, and usually I go looking, and usually I find evidence for my, for my suspicions. At the end of the day, it's plagiarism, and thus, you get a zero on it. And sometimes I get disputes. Students come to me, and they're like, I didn't plagiarize. Here's my zero percent. And I'm like, I don't care. 
did you or did you not compose this out of your own work? And at that point, everyone goes silent, and I never get a straight answer. So if, in fact, you're going to come to me at some point in this semester and say, Professor, I did not plagiarize, what I expect to hear from you at that point is not, Professor, here is my evidence, here is the 0%, why, which passages did you think were plagiarized, maybe I just didn't cite everything correctly. No, what I want to hear at that point is, this is the process by which I composed my paper. I sat down with a blank screen. And here are the sources that I used, and here is the research I used, and here is how I came to my conclusions. Originally I thought this, and then I came to this conclusion, and then I put this idea together, and then I knew I needed another topic, so I put this in. Like, that's what I expect to hear at that point. That's a defense for plagiarism. Not, but Professor Turnitin says. Don't care what Turnitin says. Turnitin misses things. You want to beat the algorithm? You can totally beat the algorithm. It just takes time and effort. But if you want to actually turn in an original assignment, that's something different. If you have questions about this, talk to me about it. I want to straighten this up. I would much rather have this discussion about what is and is not plagiarism now, or in my office hours now, or via email now, than in four months when you're writing your term paper and you just got a zero and you're trying to figure out what the heck is happening and the class ends in two weeks. If you have questions, talk to me about it now. And I'm sorry that I'm not there to answer questions. Usually I would be, and it's usually pretty profitable. I usually do confront some of this stuff. Um, fortunately, we will talk about this stuff again. Uh, we will devote at least one day to talking about writing, talking about research, talking about the business of writing a research paper. Um, so you will get another opportunity to talk about it then. Don't miss it, especially if you have questions. But again, if you do have questions, talk to me about it as soon as possible. Like, schedule a meeting with me during my office hours. Let's get this straight. Now, the third kind of plagiarism is paraphrase. And paraphrase is the fuzziest of all of the kinds of plagiarism. Uh, because paraphrase is not you take a whole bunch of words from Sparknotes. Paraphrase is you take a whole bunch of ideas from Sparknotes. So instead of copying and pasting all of Sparknotes into Grammarly or into your paper directly, what you're doing in this situation is you're saying, wow, Sparknotes has this really great argument here. Like, here I am presenting this paper on Homer's Iliad, and here is Sparknotes presenting this argument about, you know, how Achilles is a dirtbag, and here's paragraph one and what it has to say, and here's paragraph two and this new argument, and here's paragraph three, and so on and so forth. And you like it so much, they're like, I'm gonna just going to take this idea and put it into my paper. So in paragraph one of your paper, you present this the same argument that Sparknotes presented in paragraph one of theirs. And in paragraph two of your paper, it's paragraph two of Sparknotes. And paragraph three is paragraph three, four is four, five is five, and so on and so forth. None of the words are the same, but the ideas are identical. And I look at it, and again, I've seen Sparknotes' argument a billion times, so I immediately recognize it as plagiarism, and it gets a zero. But here's the trick. All that you needed to do in this situation to get a decent grade on the paper was to cite Sparknotes. That's the key. That's the solution. That's how you fix all of these problems. Every issue we've had with plagiarism that I've discussed up until this point can be solved with one simple fix, i.e. cite it. Cite everything. You went on Wikipedia while you were working on this paper. Great. Cite Wikipedia. You went on the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy doing this paper. Great. Cite it. You went on Sparknotes, cite it. You went on Crash Course, cite it. You went on Thug Notes, great, cite it. Cite whatever you used. Hell, even if you didn't think you used it in this particular paper, you were just coasting through as you were like trying to come up with inspiration, cite it anyway. Cite everything. 
the sole difference between a plagiarized paper because of paraphrase and a totally legitimate paper that gets a legitimate grade is the citation. Because you did put it into your own words. You did make it your own to some degree. You just needed to tell me what you didn't. What part of it you got from somewhere else. Cite everything and you will protect yourself. Now, it doesn't necessarily solve all your problems. Like, again, if your entire paper is just exactly what Sparknotes said, but rephrased, you're probably not going to get a good grade, no matter whether you cite it or otherwise. Citing it will be the difference between you failed this assignment, but with, like, a 40 or a 50, and you failed this assignment because you got a zero because it was plagiarized. Um, but still, a 40 or a 50 is a hell of a lot better than a zero for most assignments, especially those big ones. That can be the difference between passing and failing in this class. So cite it. Cite it all. Cite all of it! Don't leave anything unsighted. It will help you so much in this class. If you have any doubts about whether or not you should cite something in this class, cite it, just to be safe. It will protect you from plagiarism accusations down the road. Be sure to cite the right thing. Don't worry so much about whether it is cited properly or not. Like, I'm only going to take off little, little fiddly points for that and only for the term paper. But at the end of the day, if you protect yourself from plagiarism by citing things, you will avoid a lot of ugly conversations with me down the road. So just cite it. Cite it all. Cite all of it. We can have a discussion about whether you're citing it properly, whether you should be contributing more of your own ideas later. For now, cite everything. Doesn't have to be formal, doesn't have to be MLA. All you have to do is say, Professor, I use Sparknotes at the end of your paper, and we'll call it a citation. Like, that's all I need to know. Just do not try and pass over somebody else's ideas as your own. Cite it instead. Tell me, I borrowed this from here, or I borrowed that from this other place. Fine. Don't care. Cite it, and we won't have the plagiarism conversation. Copacetic? I ask my microphone while I sit alone in my apartment. Yes, cool, we're good. If you do have any questions, email me about it. Please, 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 I would much rather have this conversation now while we're fairly leisurely going through our first couple of weeks before you've had the chance to, like, seriously botch any major assignments than later when it's too late and everyone is frantic and there's going to be no coming back from the bad grade. Talk to me about this stuff. Like, hell, if we drop everything on our first actual class once I actually get to campus and have a discussion about plagiarism, that's fine with me. So if you want to raise your hand and start that next week, go for it. Um, let's sort that out now. But enough soapboxing about plagiarism. We only have like five minutes left in this lecture. Let's start talking about the grades and stuff. Um... So the next several pages of the syllabus are all devoted to the assignments, the grades, how I actually, like, judge you in this class. Um, it should be fairly self-explanatory, the weightings and stuff. You'll see that I've got them all, like, weighted and all the percentages and stuff, all the mathy, mathy stuff. Um, but let's talk about, like, the actual individual assignments, because I, obviously every professor does things a little differently, and you're going to want to know how I do my assignments uh, so you know exactly how the grades are going to fly. Uh, first off are the reading quizzes. So virtually every week we're going to have two reading quizzes in this class. Uh, like even next week we're going to have one reading quiz. Um, and they are not supposed to kill you. Um, they are little 10 question multiple choice quizzes. They will only take 10 minutes to accomplish. You're only going to have 10 minutes to accomplish them. Um, they're also time sensitive. Uh, so they are like the one thing that you can't do ahead of time. Each reading quiz is going to unlock the week before the before it is due, and then it is going to lock 
on the due date, and then it'll never open again. And if you were late for a reading quiz, I'm sorry, but you're not going to be able to retake it or anything. It's just gone. Um, there's small little assignments, and they're not worth much of your grade. You'll notice that the sum total of all of the reading quizzes is only 10% of your final grade. So if, in fact, you bomb a few reading quizzes, and you probably will, especially the first one, the first one is murder, um, that's okay. No big deal. A lot of the questions are, in fact, murderously difficult. I have frequently been criticized by students about how murderously difficult my reading quiz questions are. And I'll change them, because they're supposed to be murderously difficult. They're supposed to make you read the material more closely. They're supposed to encourage you to look for different important details, to look for the things that I look for when I am reading mythology. Um, that is intentional. But it's okay, because again, it's not worth a huge part of your grade. What's more, if you are looking at a low reading whiz grade, it's not that big a deal either, because I am going to drop the lowest four grades of the semester, and you will have three opportunities to do extra credit assignments, and each one of those extra credit assignments will drop an additional quiz grade and put a 100% in its place. So it is super easy to come back from a bad reading quiz grade. The only reason why I insist on doing the reading quizzes is to keep you honest about the readings, to slap your hands every time that you are not reading closely enough, or that you are, you know, like blowing off a reading assignment altogether in some cases. That's the goal here. Keep reading, keep doing the reading quizzes, don't panic if the grades turn out to be subpar or even terrible. Like, 3 out of 10 terrible. Students have frequently struggled with the reading quizzes. It's not the end of the world, it's not going to tank your grade, I promise. You can always come back from a bad one. Um, the second major assignment that we're, or the second assignment that we're going to run into is the response papers, or the reading response papers. Um, there are two of them this semester, they're Ethworch, Eth each worth 5% of your overall grade. So again, not worth a whole heck of a lot. They are just one-page assignments, one-page writing assignments in which you respond to whatever questions I've asked, uh, if I even ask a question, respond to whatever reading I've presented for that week. And that's it. Like, it's literally, what are your thoughts about the creation myths? Or what are your thoughts about Heracles and Gilgamesh? Like, that's it. Um, they are very low-stakes assignments. I grade them very generously. We will talk about that once they actually start coming in. Um, the goal with the reading response papers is that it gives you a taste of what my grading is going to look like going forward. Uh, like, when, in fact, I distribute them and you get them back, I'm going to tell you, you know, this is what your grade means. This is what that grade will equate to when you complete larger-scale assignments. Um, so it gives you a chance to prepare. Like, I had classes when I was in college and during my master's where the professor would show up at the beginning of class and be like, your entire grade is dependent on one 20-page paper that will be due on the last day of class. And you would work really hard on this paper. Like, you would do all of the research and you'd, like, focus on this, like, really, really carefully. And you'd work and you'd work and you'd work and you'd come up with this beautiful piece of art and you'd present it to your professor and be like, be gentle. It is the greatest thing that I have ever created. And the professor would take one look at it and give you a C plus and hand it back, and you would be like, why? Why did you give me a C? And he's like, you use too many commas. And that would be the end of the conversation. Like, every professor has just weird peccadillos, weird things that they focus on, that they care about too deeply, whatever. By giving you the reading response papers, you'll get to see what my weird peccadillos are. You'll be able to see, like, what things I get upset about and what things I harp on. In all likelihood, it'll just be sentence structure stuff, but whatever. 
Um, at any rate, by all means, turn those in. What's more, this is an opportunity to help you with your writing. Uh, like, I don't do the whole drafting thing where it's like we're working on the same draft of the research paper all semester and I have you, like, turn in milestones at various times. I know lots of professors do that. I've always found it really obnoxious, both as a student and as a professor. Um, so instead, I do the, read, the reading response thing. And importantly, if you turn in a hard copy of the reading response, like, I don't require it. I require the digital copy, turn it in on Canvas. But if you turn in a hard copy, if you turn in actual physical pieces of paper to me, I will, at some point, take out my red pen and mark the shit out of them. Like, this is not because I hate your writing or something. This is to help you become a better writer. Um, and I am willing to work with you. Like, if you are dissatisfied with, the, with what you get, that's fine. You can turn in early drafts of your research paper or the other major assignments. And I will go over them as well. Uh, but it's all on a voluntary basis. Because I don't have time for this shit. Like... I have four classes across two schools this semester. I have probably close to 120 students. I cannot devote, like, hours of time to each student in order to make them better writers, especially when so many of those students don't give a shit anyway. Um, but if you do, if you do care, if you do want to improve your writing this semester, if you know that you have turned in bad papers in the past and you want to fix that, by all means, I'll help you. Like... Turn in a hard copy of the reading response, and I'll show you where you have problems. If that is not enough information, then you can come, and you can turn in an early draft of your other assignments, or you can meet me during my office hours, and we can talk through these things. That's fine. I've done it before, and I'll happily do it for you. Um, just keep in mind that the sooner you come to me, the more time I'll have to devote to you. Like, when everybody is a day away from turning, around, or turning in the term paper is not a good time to ask for, you know, critique. Uh, because everybody has done that, and there will only be so much time to go around. Um, so by all means, turn in an early response paper, see what sort of feedback I give you. I will help you become a better writer if I can't afford to. Um, that said, the two major assignments that we are working towards this semester are the comparison paper and the term paper. Comparison paper is 750 words, term paper is 1,500 words. Both are very open-ended. Um, so the comparison paper is just choose two major myths that we've talked about and compare and contrast them. And then the term paper is what does Homer have to say about certain important things like marriage and family or about like war or honor or fate or any number of things. Both are very open-ended. We will talk about both of them more in greater detail as we get close to those two assignments. Um, know that that's what we're working towards. Those are the two big, big assignments in this class. Like, the term paper alone is worth 25% of your final grade. Um, it is a big deal. Um, that and the midterm and the final are like the deciding factors for, for this class. Um, which, of course, brings us to the midterm and the final. There will be a midterm. There will be a final. We'll talk about that in greater detail as we get close to them as well. Um, we will have a review day for both the midterm and the final um, before we get to those assignments, so don't worry about them now. We'll probably cover it as we go along, so just know that they're coming, I guess. Um, the last thing I do, in fact, want to talk about is attendance and participation. Um, attendance and participation is 10% of your final grade. As I said, you know, in the conduct section, like, it's important to be able to talk about these heavy-duty subjects, and I will expect you to talk about these heavy-duty subjects. Um, the way that I usually work out the attendance and participation grade is I divide it in half, and I basically turn it into the last 10 points of your grade. Um, besides the final, usually, because I do it beforehand. Um, but you get five points for attendance and five points for participation. And if 
you have no excused absences, or if you have fewer than three excused absences, you'll get a full five out of five, and you will not lose any points there. Um, if, however, you have missed several days of class with no explanation, then I start docking points. So each additional day you've missed after the third is 1% off of your final grade. If you miss all five of them, well, you got a really crappy attendance grade. Oops. Um, participation, though, is a little fuzzier. I recognize that not all students are comfortable raising their hand in class and talking. Sorry about my voice. I knew that it was going to be shot by the end of this. Um, that's okay. No big deal. Um, if you want the full five out of five, all I'm going to ask from you is that you raise your hand with a substantial comment or question once every time we meet. Um, probably twice in our double length class. Um, just because, again, we're there for two and a half hours. So, you know, you're going to have to take your time there. Um, but yeah, that's all I ask. Raise your hand once with, for, with one substantial question or comment every time we meet. Um, if you do that, you will get a perfect score on the attendance and participation class. But even if you're not comfortable doing that, that's fine. As long as I know what's up with you, you can still get a 4 out of 5 or a 3 out of 5. And what that means is talk to me. Like, even if you only intermittently raise your hand in class, or even if you were dead silent in, during class time, the entire class, if I know what's going on with you, if you've emailed me about assignments or questions, if you've come to me at the beginning or end of class to talk about what's going on, that'll still get you the four out of five in all likelihood. I know you're engaged. I know you're participating in this case. I know that maybe even if you aren't comfortable talking amongst your peers, that you're comfortable talking to me and you were plugged into the class. That's what matters to me. So as long as I know what's going on, you'll still do well on this grade. Where people get a zero or a one is where I literally don't hear from them at all. And that's really the most terrifying thing to me. Like when I have a student who I've never ever talked to, and they just sit in my class and they show up, I have no idea what's going on in their mind. I don't know if they know what's going on, or if they're just like totally checked out. I don't know if they're paying close attention, or if they're you know blowing off my class. I don't know if they are going to turn in a great assignment or a really crappy assignment, or if they're going to try and plagiarize. I don't know anything. And that makes me nervous. That makes me uncomfortable. That makes me worried. It makes me feel like I need to reach out or do something along those lines. And the fact of the matter is I usually can't afford to do that. Um, so just keep an open channel of communication and we will be fine. That is all I ask. Um, now, all the stuff that we're talking about, all the assignments, all the reading assignments, like if you look at the assignment schedule and see all the readings on the last page of the syllabus, all of this is on the Canvas modules page. That is our home base. You should be living there for our class. And everything is organized there. Like, if you take a look at it, you will see, you know, all of the reading assignments paired with all of the, the, um, all of the writing assignments, all of the quizzes, all of the stuff that I'm going to grade you for. Like, all of that is right on the modules page in chronological order, according to the due date, according to when we're talking about it in class. You should be able to just work through the modules page and effectively work through this class. Um, so if you have any questions about what you're supposed to be doing, check there first. Um, if you still have questions, feel free to email me, especially if I, like, missed something or something is missing that's supposed to be there. Um, but yeah, just live on that modules page. Um, that is your go-to guide to getting through the class. Um, that's it. That's all I gotta say, which is good, because my voice is about to die. 
Um, if you do have any further questions, if you do want to talk about this more, by all means, send me an email, send me a message on Canvas, raise your hand in class next Wednesday, we can absolutely talk through anything that I missed or anything that you're confused about or anything we need to go over because it's the beginning of the semester and I'm sure that you are getting a lot of information from a lot of professors very, very quickly. Um, so just, again, talk to me. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to, you know, I'd love for you to introduce yourself. I am sick and sad, and I am sorry I missed you, and I would like to hear from you, if at all possible. Um, but in the meantime, start in on the next set of assignments. For next Wednesday, we are reading excerpts from C.S. Lewis, Plato, and J.R.R. Tolkien, all of which is on, as I said, this Canvas Modules page. Um, you should be able to look and find, like, why read mythology as the sort of heading for the, the module and, and find everything you need to see there. Again, if you have any questions, if you can't access the assignments, just email me. I will track down stuff for you and figure it out. Um, make sure you read all that and take the quiz before class next week, and then we will discuss it during next week's class. Um, Farewell. I hope to see you next week. I'm sorry I was sick this week, but again, it should be pretty obvious that my voice cannot handle this yet. Um, hopefully I haven't done irreparable damage just by recording this. Um, farewell, and I will see you soon.